Well, it is a, a huge uh, privilege and honor to have Wes with us this morning. And uh, every time Wes, uh, just even having a phone call with him, I, I get challenged. I want to I follow Jesus more. I want to be more faithful. And so I know that you'll be blessed today. So I'm not going to take up time in long introductions. So uh, please give a warm welcome to uh, Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries. Well, folks, uh, blessed to be here. Uh, a lot has happened since the last time I was here. It's been about three years. And, uh, you know, folks, I know that many of you are not familiar. What we have most been known for is being involved in the longest-running civil war in Africa, uh, the war in southern Sudan, where we uh, train frontline combat chaplains for the South Sudanese Army. All of my men were armed. All of us went into battle. And I know that seems strange, but when you understand the atrocities against women and children, you have a little bit of a better understanding it. Uh, over the last uh, roughly 26 years, uh, 71 of my staff have been killed in that war, uh, serving Christ at the front lines. Uh, but this morning, uh, we will not be discussing that. Uh, one of the things that we want to share with you, a lot of people are unaware, we're not a small organization. We're actually an extremely large organization. We're operating in 38 different countries around the world. And we have a division of our ministry, we call it Ghost Operations. It's the invisible hand into the closed world of radical Islam. We're actually in nine of the ten most dangerous Islamic countries in the world. And we have over 400 pastors and missionaries in the underground serving in these countries. And their identity, of course, is kept secret for their safety there. Uh, also, we train all the chaplains for the South Sudanese Army. Uh, we're also in the areas of uh, very radical cartels, uh, the drug cartels that are murdering a lot of people. Uh, when Afghanistan collapsed overnight, folks, we had a tremendous problem on our hand. I had 22 missionaries in the underground in Afghanistan. With their extended families, we had over 200 people in the underground in Afghanistan. I got a call from the Dutch office, and they said, Wes, they're all going to be killed for their faith. So I went down to my staff, and I said, guys, we're going into wartime operations. One week later, uh, five former Navy SEALs would fly in, three former Marines, all Special Forces, one Army Green Beret, and one brother with the CIA, and we planned operations into Afghanistan. Shortly after that, <clears throat> I would send in two teams simultaneously. Uh, the first one would fly in at a chopper. We would land at 12,000 feet. We'd deploy Marines and SEALs. I went with the second team, and we were told we were going to climb two, maybe 4,000 feet, but we ended up having to climb to 11,500 feet to get to our location. And then we launched our drones. And what we're looking for is what's called a rat line. A rat line is an escape route of how to get people out of a country there. Uh, truly one of the most difficult climbs I've ever made in my life. Um, I can't go into a lot of the details, folks, because this is an ongoing operation that we're there. Uh, when we were on the mountain, uh, uh, when we got off that mountain, I actually lost two of my toenails on the mountain because of the difficulty of the climb. All of our toenails were black with the blood that was under it. There were no trails on the mountain. Nobody had ever been there before. And uh, we had one brother by the name of Rodney. Rodney was with the elite SEAL Team 6, 22 years with the SEALs, 12 years SEAL Team 6, and 13 years with the CIA. And I believe that he lost three toenails on that mountain. So it gives you an understanding of how difficult that climb was that we were up there. But then the Lord began to do miracles. And guys, we got a call from uh, YWAM Youth with a Mission. They said, our country director is in the city of Maz. The Taliban knows he's there. They're going door to door to find him. They're going to find him within two hours. Can you guys help us? And of course, when they called me, I said, you know, guys, two hours is not a lot of time. Uh, fortunately on my staff, I have Luke. Luke spent 14 years in the Marine Corps. He was in Special Forces, 22 years with the FBI. He speaks fluent Arabic in multiple dialects. He's tested at genius level. Plus, he's got a good grasp of five other languages. And we had Brent, who was in Second Force Recon, which is the elite of the Marine Corps Special Forces. <clears throat> and I said, guys, do we have any assets in this part of the world that we can get a hold of? And fortunately, we were able to get a hold of some Pakistani mercenaries. And an hour later, our guys rolled up at the door. We grabbed the kid. We got him out of there. An hour later, Taliban showed up at the door. Had we not got him, they would have killed this kid. And then we got a call from Heather Mercer. Some of you might remember her. Very famous missionary. Was imprisoned by the Taliban back in 2000. Released when U.S. forces went in in 2001. And she called us up, and I believe 
she said that she had uh, 26 people in country. They were all believers. They would all be killed for their faith. And she asked us if we could mount an operation to rescue them. I was not in the office that day. Brent took the phone call. He called me up and said, Brother, what do you want to do? I said, let's green light the operation. So we put together an operational team and we went in and we got all 26 of them out. But guys, the one that surprised me the most is we got a call from Shannon Spann. Mike Spann was the first CIA officer killed in Afghanistan back in 2001. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It really troubled me uh, because they had trusted an honor system with the Taliban that I knew that we could not trust. Mike had been in the Marine Corps. He was in Special Forces. He was recruited by the CIA paramilitary organization. Shannon had also been recruited by the CIA. They met at the farm, which is where they trained the agents. They fell in love, got married, had three kids. And so... uh, When Mike was killed, uh, Shannon was left with three children. She's a very godly woman. And she told us that when Afghanistan began to collapse, she was getting a tremendous amount of people out because of her connection within the agency. But when the last U.S. aircraft left, she goes, I could not get anybody out of Afghanistan. And one night she was walking around, she was praying, and she was saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, Shannon, why are you going to the world? Why are you not going to my people? And she goes, Lord, I don't know who your people are. Well, he gave her name of a gentleman by the name of Bob Shank. I personally do not know him, folks. I understand that he wrote the master's program. And uh, he said, Shannon, you need to call Far Reaching Ministries. So she called us. And guys, um, when Shannon called us, uh, afterwards she went and read our website. And uh, then she called up Bob. And, and if you're not a Christian, our website, it's hard to understand as a Christian. It's very difficult to understand if you're not a believer. We're involved in a total of five different wars around the world, plus we're in a war with some of the cartels around the world. And uh, so uh, she called uh, Bob up and she said, Bob, who is West Bentley? Who is Far Reaching Ministries? Who is Brent? And he said, Shannon, if my family were in Afghanistan, these are the two men that I would want to go and get them. Well, one of the great things about that, Shannon has become an intricate part of our team. And as of just a couple of months ago, we've gotten over 1,900 people out of Afghanistan. And uh, guys, when Shannon asked us to rescue the people out of Afghanistan, it was a very difficult operation for us. One, we could not extract them out of the country immediately, so we had to move them from safe house to safe house within Afghanistan, and it would take us 11 months before we could actually extract them out of the country, but we did finally get them out of the country. And uh, there's a lot going on in that part of the world that I cannot discuss with you. We're doing an overview of things. Unfortunately, for intelligence reasons, we can't talk about a lot of it. One of the hardships that we're dealing with is we have over 35 hundred requests of other people that are asking us to get them out. The world, by and large, has forgotten Afghanistan. Our nation definitely forgot it as quickly as they could. Not the people, but our government did. And most other nations have forgotten about Afghanistan. And there's times that I've tried to gear down, but we get letters literally and messages every day of people that are really suffering under the hands of the Taliban. And uh, the murder that's going on, genocide happened in Afghanistan. We can say what we want, but this government allowed genocide to happen in Afghanistan. I have personally witnessed witnessed it. I have had assets on the ground filming what's been happening in the country, and it was the mass murder of many people for no reason other than this nation chose to pull out in one of the worst ways that we could possibly have done it. And we told these people for 20 years that they could live and have freedom, and when they got to the point that they believed it, we pulled out and we left them undefended, and of course they lost everything. And there have been in the tens of thousands, if not the hundreds of thousands that have probably been murdered in that part of the world there. And sharing with you this morning, guys, uh, we have a lot to go over and I'm jumping from subject to subject, but one of the things that I share with people, one of my favorite people in the Word of God is the prophet Jeremiah. And there's a lot of reasons I like the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah is very unique among prophets of the Lord. He's not only a prophet of the Lord, he's a priest of the Lord. And what is unique about that, there were only three prophets in the Old Testament that were priests. It was Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Ezekiel. And the job of a priest is to bring people into close fellowship with their God. Well, for 40 years, Jeremiah tried to reach his nation to bring 
them to a place of repentance, but they never did. And finally, God built the Babylonian Empire and crushed them and took them off into exile for 70 years. I think Jeremiah, in a great way, must have felt like he failed in life, that he had tried very hard to teach the truth to the world. And guys, we're living in that same generation today, 20 years ago, if you had told me we would be facing the issues that we are facing today, what our nation is teaching, I would have found it very, very hard to believe. But I have watched the hardness of heart of this nation, all the warnings that God has sent, and yet the nation still refuses to repent and turn back to their God. And not only do we refuse to repent, we are declaring ourselves no longer to be a Christian nation by many of our politicians, which is very much spitting in the face of God, the one who found we was responsible helping us found our nation here because one of the things about jeremiah and this is one of the things that we need to remember a lot of pastors have served very faithfully and they have wondered lord what is going on in this world today well when the world is going crazy and everybody is telling you that this is acceptable behavior we as believers have to go back to the word of god because the word of god gives us clear direction for how we are supposed to live our lives see in jeremiah chapter 6 he says this is what the lord says Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. See, guys, if you listen to all the nonsense of this world, you're not going to find any peace today. But if you will listen to the Lord and you will obey his word, you will find great peace. Where I live in Southern California, folks, we have a Christian teacher out there in one of the schools in the city that I'm in, and he called his wife in the last week to tell her, there's a 15-year-old girl at school, she's taking her clothes off, and we're not allowed to do anything about it. She's going into the boys' locker rooms to shower, and we're told we're not allowed to do anything about it. And see, this is the nonsense that's going on in our nation, and we're being told that this is acceptable behavior. Every time a child wants to behave badly, we're saying that you have to allow them to have this. There's some kind of freedom that they should be allowed to have. It's absolute nonsense. But guys, when Jeremiah looked at his life, he may have thought that he had a terrible life. But see, Jeremiah would have great fruit. He would just never live to see it. Out of Jeremiah's life would come Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Out of his life would come Daniel. Out of his life would come the prophet Ezekiel. And when King Nebuchadnezzar built a golden altar and commanded that the whole world bow down and worship it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had seen what happened when a nation rejected their God. And King Nebuchadnezzar was gracious with them. He said, maybe you didn't understand when the tambourines and the cymbals were rung, you were supposed to bow down and worship. And I'm going to give you a second chance here. Now, if you do not bow down this time, I'm going to throw you into the burning furnace. But see, they had watched. They had learned from Jeremiah. And they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King Nebuchadnezzar, our God has the ability to deliver us. But whether he delivers us or not, we will not bow down to your God. And they're thrown into the burning furnace, and God delivers them, and an entire generation knows who the living God is. You know, guys, I think it was about 20 years ago, they found a piece of pottery in ancient Babylon, and on it it said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Once again, proving that the word of God is true. 70 years later, it will be Daniel's turn. Once again, he's told to worship a false god. Once again, he refuses to do it, and he's thrown into the lion's den. And guys, there's a set of commentaries I like. It's called The Early Church Fathers, uh, written by people that lived 300 to 600 years after Christ. There's a lot of information that we do not have today. And one of the things that they said about the lions of Babylon is that they were bred for ferocity. They'd take the most fierce male line, they'd take the most fierce female line, and they would breed them, and then they would keep them in a near state of starvation that so when people were thrown in there, they would be torn to pieces. And yet Daniel is thrown in, once again God delivers him, and another entire generation knows who the living God is. One of the things that we need to realize as believers, and Ezekiel brings this out, he says twice in the book of Ezekiel that we're to go to those who are in sin, we're to warn them about their sin. If we do not go to them and we do not warn them, God will require their blood on our head, meaning that we are responsible to share the truth. Now, guys, you need to be careful with how you do this in this generation today. 
I believe that a lot of Christians honestly do not know how to share their faith, and they don't know how to use wisdom when they do share their faith. Work is not one of the places that you share it with. It will absolutely get you fired, and you will no longer be able to take care of your family. But you are required, and God will open those doors for you. But one of the things that the Bible says is that we're not supposed to take the treasures of heaven and throw them before people who stamp on them like they are manure. Do not cast your pearls before swines is what the Word of God is telling us. See, when you go and you try to share Christ with someone and they say, get away, I don't want to hear it, you're supposed to stop. You're not supposed to force the subject. You're not supposed to say, hey, you're going to hell. It does not help the situation. What you're supposed to say is if you ever want to talk, I'll be here. And then you move on to the next person. That is the responsibility of the believer. I do not believe that we're supposed to be fighting on Facebook. I think most Christians should not be on social media. I personally am not on it. You are going to get yourself sued someday. These people do not know, want to know the truth that are fighting you on social media. They're looking for a way to attack you. And if you're foolish, you will give them that way. Now, when we read this stuff, we need to understand that Jeremiah was very different. And guys, he gave us a glimpse into his life of why he had such a successful walk with the Lord. In chapter 15, in verse 16, Jeremiah says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O God Almighty. I never said in the company of revelers, I never made merry with them, because your hand was on me. And what he was saying, that he was in the world, but he was not of the world. He did not party with the people. He did not participate with the people. Why? Because God's hand was upon him, and he was required to live a holy life. And this is what we're supposed to be as men of God. We are supposed to live holy lives. You know, one of my staff members said to me years ago, guys, <clears throat> he said, you know what else? He goes, I notice that young women always feel safe around you. I said, that's because I look at them from the neck up and not the neck down. He, I said, most Christian men don't realize that when they look at a pretty girl, they don't even realize it. They give them the once over. We're not supposed to be like this. It tells them something about your character. We're supposed to live lives that are above reproach, not edging approach, but above reproach, guys, we're supposed to be holy. And see, Jeremiah would go through such hard times, but in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, Jeremiah talks about his life. And guys, this doesn't read well in the King James Version, but it reads very well in the NIV Version. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, he says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his footsteps. It means that our lives do not belong to us. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way that we're supposed to behave. Jeremiah would go through times of great adversity, and yet God was not gentle with him. He didn't say, Jeremiah, you've gone through 40 years of hardship. Hold on. Just be strong a little bit longer. Matter of fact, there's times that Jeremiah just wanted to give up. But what God says to him, he says, Jeremiah... If the foot soldiers have wearied you, how will you handle mounted horsemen? And the scripture that he's giving, he's saying it was like when men went out to battle in ancient times. First you would go out to fight the men on foot, the foot soldiers. They had chain mail, battle armor, sword, shield, spears. But then came the heavy cavalry, men on massive horses covered in armor. And they would come running at you at high speeds with long lances. And it must have been very terrifying to see. But he says, Jeremiah, if the foot soldier has wearied you, how will you handle mounted horsemen? And basically what God's saying to his church, if you want to be used of the Lord, you better learn to be tough. You better buck up. See, guys, when King David is dying, he's talking to his son Solomon. And when men die, I've had many men in my ministry die. I've been there with many of them when they have breathed their last words. And they almost say one of two things. If they're married, they say, tell my wife I loved them. If they're not married, they say, tell my mother I love them. That's what they almost always say. But what does David say to his son Solomon? He says, be strong and therefore prove yourself to be a man. A part of being a Christian man is we are supposed to be spiritually strong. Physical strength has something to do with it. It's more talking about spiritual strength. Guys, when the war in Ukraine broke out, I actually prayed and said, Lord, are we supposed to be involved in this war? We're already involved in four of the wars. It wasn't that I was afraid to be involved, but we had our hands full. And I asked the Lord to speak to me through the scripture, and he spoke to me very clearly. In Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10, it says, 
If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weigh the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? And God is saying, it's not okay to watch people go off to slaughter. It's not okay to allow people to be led away to death. We as a church are supposed to intervene. We are supposed to behave like men. And we're raising generations of effeminate men and generations of cowardly pastors who refuse to speak the truth. This is not the way we're supposed to be, guys. We are supposed to be men that are made for battle and made to be in the thick of it. You know, guys, I flew to Ukraine on April 4th of last year. On April 6th, I had a dream, and I want to be very clear, guys, this was a dream. Now, what is unique about that in my own personal life? I have walked with the Lord for 47 years. Once I gave my life to Christ, I never went back to the world. I never backslid. Once I tasted Jesus, I never needed anything in the world again, guys. I found something that was really wonderful. But in the 47 years of being a believer, I've only had one dream that I know absolutely for sure was from the Lord. I've had two others that I believe were from the Lord. And guys, I'm one of these type of people that when I wake up, I'll remember just a bit of my dream and then it's gone. I can't remember anything else. I've always been that way. Well, in my dream, I was looking for a Calvary Chapel pastor who had gone missing in the Ukraine. This pastor was actually in the Ukraine, but he had not gone missing. I think God just used it for my mind to get me going down a certain path of thinking. His name is Billy Rutledge. He was the pastor of Calvary Chapel Hatteras Island. And guys, Billy's a tough guy. He really is. Billy will go anywhere in the world for the gospel. To give you an idea of how tough he is, I think he told me he used to be six foot four. He might have said six foot two. But right now he's five foot eight because he has cancer and it's eating his body. And yet he still goes to the worst places in the world. And about Two or three years ago, I told Billy, I said, Billy, whenever you go over to this part of the world, you call me, I'll either use my miles or I'm going to buy you a business class ticket because these 16 to 20 hour flights are just killing him the whole time he's on the airplane. So out of mercy, I've been purchasing these tickets for him. In my dream, Billy had gone missing and I was looking for him. And I got to a certain city and I asked if he was there and they said no, but they said, but there's a sniper here and he's killing a lot of civilians. Well, guys, I used to be a professional shooter. I used to shoot competition in the Marine Corps. I would shoot battalion and division matches. My coach actually said to me, Wes, you are so good with weapons, I think you could shoot the Olympics. And so in my dream, I said to the guys, listen, guys, I know how to deal with this. And I did. I took the guy out. I continued to look for Billy, and I couldn't find him. But I got to another city, and they said to me, he's not here, but there's a sniper in a high-rise apartment building but we can't get to him because every time we get close to the building, he kills one of us. I said, don't worry about it, guys. I know how to deal with this. And they go, you don't understand, Wes. As soon as you get close to the building, he's going to shoot you. I said, don't worry. I know how to deal deal with it. And I don't know why, but in the dream when I entered the building, I was with another sniper, and I knew who he was. Since I've woken up, the Lord has not allowed me to remember it. I don't know why he had me remember it then. But what I said to the guy, I said, listen, we're going to clear this building floor by floor. I'll take the lead, but you need to follow, and you need to be extremely careful because if we miss him, he'll come up behind us and he'll smoke us. So you make sure that you're watching out. Well, guys, I got up to the 18th floor and I rounded the corner and there was a big hallway. In the hallway, there was carpet, loose carpet and plastic sheeting on the ground, but it was moving. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was there was a sniper hiding in a concealed position. So I immediately raised my weapon to fire, and the Lord told me, don't shoot. So I kept my weapon trained, but I thought for sure, there's somebody hiding under there with a gun, and if I'm not careful, he's going to shoot me. So I walked over, and I kneeled down, and I pulled back the carpet, and I think there were five little boys under there between the age of three and five years old. And they were so afraid. And I looked at the boys, I said, where are your parents? They go, we don't know. And I go, do you boys want to come home and live with me? Well, they all got up and they came in. They put their arms around my legs and started to hug me. And guys, I woke up. It was 4.30 in the morning. And I had tears coming out of my eyes. I have never in my life, to my knowledge, woken up with tears in my eyes, ever. 
My wife, Vicki, has never seen me cry before. She was stunned. She had got up at 3.30 to study the Word. And she walked over and she goes, Honey, what is going on? And so I retold her the dream. I said, Vicki, I feel like this has some kind of spiritual significance. I don't know what it means. Are, are those boys out there and I'm supposed to find them? What is the Lord trying to tell me? Well, the Lord gave us an interpretation through two godly men. And guys, truthfully, all over the Ukraine, parents left to go get firewood, to get fuel, to find food, water, and they didn't come back. We have purchased two orphanages over there that are being renovated right now, but it's a drop in the bucket. Many of the elderly in the Ukraine are committing suicide. They've lost their homes, they've lost their pensions. Now guys, a good pension in the Ukraine used to be about $190 a month. The average was probably 140 to 150. You lose your home, you lose your pension, you're 70 years old, what do you do? They're finding it easier to kill themselves. Since the second month of the war, we have been feeding 15,000 people a month. We have built 230 homes over there. We're training the Ukrainian chaplains, which they are going into battle-hardened areas where the fighting is severe. And so far, they've rescued well over 500 people out of these areas there. We were setting up bread lines in the first days of the war. People were waiting a half a mile to get a loaf of bread. Half a mile to get one loaf of bread. And guys, we started going door to door and we, because we knew there were a lot of elderly that couldn't come and get bread. And we ran into a woman who told us that she had planned to commit suicide that day. She said that her first daughter had been killed in a car accident five or six years ago. She said, but when the Russians invaded, her second daughter was in her apartment when a rocket hit it and it vaporized her. They couldn't find anything. So she had decided to commit suicide. We led her to Christ and she's doing okay today. We had another mother and her daughter, and guys, the mother was in her 60s, the daughter was probably in her 40s. Now, the daughter was mentally only six years old. She's mentally handicapped. And the mother told us that they ran for two straight weeks and did not eat a meal in two straight weeks. She said that during the time they were running, they got, both got shot. It was not severe, but they were taken into a military hospital. They put them on the table, opened them up, removed the bullet, sewed them back up, and told them, you got to leave. She said, we weren't allowed to spend the night. We were not given a meal. They said, there's just too many severely wounded men coming in. You have to leave. Fortunately, people from Calvary Chapel have found them, and we are ministering to them. You know, one of the things with the mother, we found out that she has two large tumors in her body. And whether she'll make it or not, guys, I, I don't know. But we bought a brand new apartment for her a couple months ago. And I told this mother, I said, listen, I want you to understand, we believe that you will be okay. But for some reason, should you not survive, we will make sure that your daughter is always with someone who loves her. There will always be heat in the winter. There will always be food on the table. She'll always be clothed. We will not allow her to be by herself. Guys, if I were a father and I had no money and I had a handicapped child, there's nothing in my life that I would want to know more than this. And see, this is one of the things as believers, the Bible says it's the love of God that compels people unto repentance. And by the way that we behave is how people are drawn to Jesus Christ. If more Christians would actually live their faith, I believe that we would see many more people coming unto salvation. Now guys, we're going to take a turn here and please understand why. I just have too much to cover. We were referred to a ministry through Pastor Joe Fosh of Calvary, Philadelphia. And guys, I had no intention of getting involved in anything else. I felt like we had too much going on. In Central and South America, the cartels are selling children into the sex trafficking trade. We have an orphanage down there, and I have a three-year-old that needs reconstructive surgery on both the front and the back from all the rape that she's gone through. I have a nine-year-old that told me that when she was six, her father started to bring in five or six men a night to watch her shower. And then each man would take his turn with her and they would sodomize this child. And she told me it was so painful that she would pass out. And you think that these filthy human beings would say, what am I doing? But no, they're given over to a reprobate mind. They would splash her with water, wake her up, and the next man would take his turn. She also needs reconstructive surgery and she's HIV positive. 
I found out a number of months ago, and guys, I'm not sure the total truth of this, but I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in New York, and he was sharing that he had spoken with a pastor of a very large church in America, and I said, I'm surprised that they even know who we are. He goes, oh, Wes, everybody has an opinion about you. And I go, what, what do you mean by that? Well, what I found out is a lot of people think that we embellish or we're lying, that we're not telling the truth. You know, Pastor Don McClure, who's over the entire Calvary Chapel movement, told me, he said, you know, Wes, the first two years I knew you, I didn't like you. He goes, I thought you were lying about everything. And then I went overseas and I thought, who actually does all this stuff? And I found out that everything you shared was far bigger than you told me. He's become one of my dearest friends. Guys, I think that sometimes people don't want to believe it because they're not doing the work themselves. And rather than support those that are, they choose to tear it down. I don't know why we do that, but we do do that. This is something I've noticed in the body of Christ. But one of the things that I started doing is taking Calvary pastors with me down there to verify the story so they could hear it not from my words, but other people's words. We went down to this one country, and I cannot tell you where we were at. I met with the vice president while I was down there. Did not have a good feeling about this guy. Met with nine senators. One of them was a very godly man, and we're working with him. I won't go into all the details of that. But I took these three pastors up to an area where the children are being sold. Now, Gabriel, our country director, we don't give out his real name. It's too dangerous. And he brought in two federal law enforcement officers to record this so that people would know that we were not telling the lie. On this river is where the, they sell these children to predators, and a lot of them are Americans. They come down there specifically to sleep with children. And a gentleman come I wouldn't call him a gentleman, a man comes up, offers to sell eight little girls, all about five years and old, and promises that they will be pure virgins. He says, I have a waterfall up here where you can rape them and nobody will hear the screams. Well, one of the law enforcement officers wanted to find out how far he would go with it. So he said, but they'll see our faces. He goes, people drown here all the time and the river is full of crocodiles. So what he was saying is for a couple hundred dollars a child, he would let you rape them often as you want, then he would personally drown them and let the crocodiles remove the evidence. And guys, I won't go into detail, but we're not going to allow stuff like this to happen. And we're not going to allow people like this who do this to continue doing it. That's as much as I can say on this subject here. We have a video I want to show you guys. And guys, this is our orphanage. Some of these little girls, you're going to see a real sweetness in their face, but you can tell they've seen things they shouldn't have seen. But these are the children that we're getting, and I'll explain it after the video. Let's go ahead and show that.
You know, folks, Luke is one of my closest friends, and uh, both men in the Marine Corps have a lot in common. But I remember I called him one day, and I, I just heard something different in his voice. I said, Brother, I, I said, what, what's going on? I can hear something in your voice. <clears throat> he goes, you know, Wes, I thought I'd seen everything. I said, what happened? He said, there was a raid. We were too late. When we got there, there were two toddlers laying on the table. Their bodies were filleted open, and their internal organs were missing. Now, they're not selling them to people that need a new liver, but superstitious people are flying in and eating them because they think it gives them long life. And see, this is where, as men of God, I believe that we are called to protect those that cannot protect themselves. If we're criticized for it, I really don't care. I really don't. I know the difference between right and wrong. And I know that if you have the opportunity to save a child, it's absolutely the right thing to do. The greatest privilege of my life, guys, has been to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It really has. And what I see all over the world is the people that are really doing good work are Christians. You know, when you go around the world and you see what the UN's doing, people in those countries don't think very highly of the UN or World Food Program. They may be happy if they're starving, but when they see the behavior of these people, they're as bad as some of these other predators. It's very common to know that a lot of these people out there are sleeping with young girls. They actually look for it. But see, as Christians, we're different, or at least we're supposed to be different. I want to encourage you as a group of people to take your walk with the Lord seriously. Guys, there's not much in the world that I desire. I'm not saying that you cannot enjoy life. I think you should try to enjoy life and enjoy it with your family. But the priorities of my life are to fulfill God's will and to obey Him. I think that we should be driven by a desire to please the heart of God. I heard a pastor say once, he said, may my heart be moved by the things that move the heart of God. And I believe this is the way we're supposed to be. We had an orphanage down in Mexico, guys. It's no longer operating. In the orphanage, I had a little girl by the name of Clara. When we got her at the age of one, her father had been raping her. Or we got her at three. Her father had been raping her since she was one. I have never seen a child more terrified in my entire life, ever. When you would walk in the room as a man, she would start to cry hysterically. And then she would put her hand up in front of her face and hide. And then she'd peek out to see if you're there. And if she saw you, she'd start to cry again and cover her face. Well, our orphanage was for very abused or very handicapped children. We had a young child in there that was extremely handicapped and very mentally retarded. We knew that she would die. She would not live a long life. She had a tongue that was seven times the size of a normal tongue. Well, one of the things that I did in the orphanage is I put cameras in every room. Now, if we have to change the children and they have to shower, we had a curtain that they went behind and you could make out the figures, but you couldn't see anything. It was just enough to let people know that nothing was being done wrong. But we did it to protect the children. Well, one night at about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, this child just stopped breathing and went home to be with the Lord. The police came and we showed them the cameras and it was all over with. But then there was some wicked woman that decided she wanted to make a name for herself. And she accused the director of the orphanage of murder. We showed her the camera. Didn't care. She was going to make a name for herself. They came in and took all the children. We could not find them at all. They would not give us any information about it. Finally, thank God, a judge came in and looked at the footage, and I hope she got fired. He rebuked him very severely. He said, what is wrong with you? You can see clearly 
this child died of natural causes. Why did you do this? But the damage had been done. And I sent my staff about trying to find Clara because I was not going to allow it to happen to her again. And finally, everybody said, Wes, we can't find her. So finally I said, guys, I'm not writing another check down here for payroll or anything until we find this child. And all of you better go to work on it. Well, they went to work on it. A couple weeks later, we finally found her. The good news was, is that she was with a grandmother that was supposed to love her. But the problem that I knew in my mind is, what if the daughter was there? Because the daughter knew this was going on and didn't stop it. If the daughter was there, then the father would be there. And I'd been praying one of those King David prayers, Lord, either have him fully repent and get saved, or you kill him, you take him out. And so I called up Luke, and I said, Luke, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going down there, and if that father is there and he has touched that little girl, I'm going to remove him from this earth. I said, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to do it. There's not any chance I'm going to reconsider this. And I thought Luke might rebuke me, but see, I had forgotten he was there the first time I'd seen Clara. And he goes, Roger that, brother, let's go. Now, the great news was is God did hear my prayer. Clara's father was dead. The, the Lord took him out, and I'm so thankful. I'm not thankful that a man is in hell for eternity, folks, but I'm thankful that that little girl will never be touched again. And I believe this is the heart that the Lord wants us to have for these children. Now, as you leave today, guys, we're going to give you an opportunity. And one of the first things I want to say is that when we come to a church, we do not want to take anything from the tithing of the church. Your church needs your tithing. They need to run operations. But we have children in the Ukraine and in Central and South America that need sponsors. And it takes multiple sponsors to sponsor one of these child. In the country that we're working in, to have between 24, 25, and 65 kids, I believe it is, you have to have 31 social workers, which is it's just $31,000 just to open the door. They also do not allow you to adopt abused children. I don't know why. We're trying to get that changed. But if you want to adopt one of these children, guys, you will get updates on them. We'll keep you informed whether they're from the Ukraine or they're from Central America. It's $75 a month. Then in Ukraine, we have potatoes for grandmothers. And guys, we're putting all this money into endowments. So all the money for the children goes into an endowment. So what that means is that we can't spend the money on anything else except the kids. We're doing that so people don't think we're trying to make money off of this. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do. But also we have potatoes for grandmothers and we have to raise about four sponsors for each grandmother or grandfather so they can eat. And then in all over the world from radical Islam to radical cartel areas, we have ghost operations. We have many pastors that need to be sponsored. The sponsorships are $75 a month. It is an automatic debit. It comes out on the fourth of each month. People ask me, can I do it on the website? We don't put it on our website. Guys, uh, we found out Al-Qaeda was following our website. Al-Qaeda has what they call kill sites. A kill site is where they put up pictures of your missionary and it says kill on site. The children that we've rescued, the cartels want them back. They're worth a million dollars. And we, I have over 40 children I have in hiding right now. I cannot even let the police know where they're at until I have the proper documentation on it because there are many police on the payroll of the cartel and they will give the children back. We've had to fight this already. Now, you have to fill out the form. You don't need all your information. Name, address, phone number, sign it at the bottom. Voided checks do work, work best because we don't pay fees, but you can use a debit or credit card. Now, guys, I'm sharing this. People ask me every Sunday, and I don't want to share this a bunch of times. People come and say, well, Wes, what if I want to do all three? Well, first of all, we're not asking you to do that. But if we do recognize there are people out there that God is greatly financially blessed, and they can tithe, and they have plenty of money left over, and they say, hey, I want to store treasures in heaven. Well, if you're one of those, then it's 225 to sponsor all three. You've got a good pastor. He's not shot away from this. He's one of the few guys that's running towards the battle 
instead of away from it. So I would say honor that by keeping your tithing, your tithing. Now guys, if you want to sacrifice and make a gift above and beyond, I think it's a wonderful thing. But that's between you and the Lord. You know, I wasn't going to get involved in South America. I mean, I was going to send my guys down there to do the work, but personally, I wasn't going to do it. And my wife tried to get me to keep going, and I kept saying, Vicki, I work best in war zones. I function well in combat. I'll take care of Afghanistan. I'll take care of Ukraine. Let Luke and Brent and the other guys handle Central America. She goes, honey, I really think you need to go. The Lord's telling me you need to go. So finally, she talked me into it. I went down there. What changed everything for me was the little girl playing the piano. There's such a sweetness and a purity about her when you see her, an innocence. But one, she's a lot smaller in real life than she seems in the video. And when I found out all the abuse that that child had gone through, I knew that I was supposed to be involved. Let me close with this one last thing. We are starting an organization and I'll have to explain it. I was flying into Afghanistan last year, early January, February. As I'm flying in, I feel like the Lord speaks to my heart. And I do believe God speaks to us guys and says, I want you to start an organization like Interpol, but to rescue Christians. Now, the Lord gave me the Interpol so I could figure it out, which Interpol is an international agency that fights crime all over the world. So I land, I'm up in the Afghan mountains, I'm running around with Brent, I got my sniper rifle with me, Brent's got his sniper rifle with him, and we're watching out for the Taliban. And I have said nothing to anyone about this, and Brent goes, brother, have you ever thought about starting an organization like Interpol, except to rescue Christians in the last days? Well guys, then you begin to know God speaking. So I called Luke, I said, Luke, what do you think about this? He goes, I got 22 years in intelligence, this is my job. He said, Wes, there are people in the CIA, the FBI, State Department, many believers that believe that we need this. We're going to start a new organization, and this is the only time you'll ever hear about it. It's going to be called Dreadnought. Dreadnought was the name of World War I battleships. It means fears nothing. But it's going to be Dreadnought Jehovah Sabbat, which means the host of heaven or God's armies fear nothing. And guys... Our goal is to rescue as many as we possibly can. Pastor, would you come up and close? God bless you. You know, I, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time I've, I've listened to Wes share that I don't want to be more all in for Jesus. We are not of this world and I realize, you know, we may not be facing all these types of things and choices every single day, you know, but I'm challenged, you know, when I hear this to say, Lord, what, what are my hands on that just doesn't matter? You know, what was my life invested into that just doesn't matter? You know, our lives are, are hid with God in Christ Jesus. We've been purchased by him. You know, there's eternity that's in front of us and in front of the people around us. There's so much that is way of way more importance than some of the things that we're giving our time and our energy to. So I just plead with you, if, if you're not full bore for Jesus right now, if there are other things that have your heart, just don't leave today without laying those things down. It's not worth it. I strongly encourage you to, if you've, this is the first time you've heard about, I know some of you guys, Wes has been coming for years, and uh, you know, some of you guys are already very involved, you know, but if this is the first time you've heard of Fire Reaching Ministries and you want to get involved, go back to the table. You know, Wes will be happy to talk to you. There's plenty of ways that you can find out more information, you know, but I want to encourage you to get involved. You know, the challenge that we have here in our culture, which is very prosperous, and I know you've got struggles, but the challenge we have in our culture is to not want to upset how smoothly our lives are. To not want to take a risk and to help someone, reach out to someone, take someone in. 
to invest our, our lives, our finances, our, our American dream, to upset that to, to benefit someone else. That is not who we're called to be, though. We are called to be those who give our lives away even when it's to our own hurt. That's what Paul the Apostle told the Corinthian church when they were suing each other. And he's like, why not take the hurt to yourselves? So we are called to give our lives away even when it's to our own detriment. So if there are things that God's put on your heart to do, there are things that God's saying, I want you to do this. Do not hold back because you think this will upset my life. I'm very glad that Jesus allowed his life to be upset to the highest degree for my salvation. Amen? Let's all stand.